and from there I felt called to to do ministry more, maybe even as my job, <laughs> and that was confirmed, and uh, the Lord said, well, I do want you to do ministry, but I don't want you just to go back to Canada. I was living in Texas at the time doing, doing that, uh, that, that season of life, uh, learning more about him and his word. And uh, he's, he showed us, my wife and I, we had just been married, and he showed us a group of people that were going to Brazil. And he said, because we had, the, uh, we had these people in our lives saying, if you've already done mission work, it's probably something you should think about where God might be leading you to, to uh, continue to work in, in the kingdom. And so... We found a group of people that was going to Bolivia and a group of people that were going to Brazil. And my wife was like, you've already lived in Spanish-speaking parts of the world, and I'm going to feel like I'm way behind you in, in what we're going to be doing there. And so I think we should go to Brazil, and that way we both have to learn another language. And I thought to myself, I don't really want to learn another language. Like, learning a language is already enough. But uh, that's what God called us to do. So then we were on our way to Brazil because of his grace and provision and people who have uh, been partnering with us from here in Canada and the United States, uh, allowing us to live financially in doing these works. And we were able to work with four other couples in Salvador, Bahia, Brazil, and learning Portuguese and learning all about Brazil, and we even had two children down there in Brazil, and one of them's here today with me, Kaylin, my, uh, my oldest son, and also my daughter, Ciara, who's actually our oldest of the three, and they, so we, uh, we had a great five years in Brazil, did a lot of work, learned how to work in big cities, six million people, uh, got a little bit crazy at times seeing some of the things that happen in other parts of the world, uh, but also seeing the good things that God was doing through the church and, and helping us to bring new people to come to know the Lord in their culture and in, in their language. And after we had made that five-year commitment that each of the families had made, there was lots of the families that were going to continue on to see that church continue to grow and flourish and to become led by Brazilians, and I said to my wife, I, and, my, and by then we had two children, I said, Alicia, there's still a place in the world where I haven't been able to get it out of my heart, and that was back in Ecuador where I had been an intern, and, and so she, and she said, well, if you really think that that's where God's leading us why don't we go and check it out and let me see <laughs> what it's like and see if that's where I want to continue to raise my kids. So we were off to Ecuador for a three-week trip, and she was also, um, I guess we could say, convinced that God was leading us to uh, move our family back to Ecuador with the people that I had already began uh, ministering to 15 years previously. And so that's where we spent the next six years of our lives. And we had our third child, Curran, 
who is, who is uh, here with me today, our, our second boy. And we were able to work in that situation with multiple churches, uh, visiting and, and not just visiting, but actually ministering with, with churches, small churches up in the mountains of, of Ecuador, in smaller villages and in bigger cities. And also down on the coast, God ended up, ended, uh, up leading us to, to do more of a, a, mini, a national ministry. So we were traveling quite a bit, um, but also being really blessed in so many ways. And uh, those were six years of my life that I just truly enjoyed and really felt like God had me right where he wanted us to be doing our work in blessing people's lives in Ecuador. And it was around, uh, let's see, right about 2017, right after Ecuador had gone through a big earthquake that really shook the country in a lot of ways. And sort of just before COVID, <laughs> because God, I believe in, in his sovereignty, knows everything that we need and also some instability that, w that has occurred in Ecuador. And I think in a lot of ways, God, um, I'm sorry, I, I usually do all of this in Spanish, so I'm trying to remember my English, but he liberated us. Is that, li is that can I say that? He, I can't remember the phrase in English, but he, he allowed us to not go through some very difficult times that our, that our brethren are going through in Ecuador. And I think that God saw that maybe as a younger family, uh, foreigner family, that it wasn't going to be a good situation for us to continue in Ecuador. And my wife at the same time was feeling like he wanted, she wanted our children to experience uh, life in Canada where my wife and I are both from, uh, get some education here in Canada, and uh, just get to know our fa their family, our extended families. And that through all of that time of discernment and talking with people that have walked with me for many years, we made the very difficult decision about coming back to Canada. And for anyone that's ever lived overseas and then had to come back to their home country, most people think, wow, that must be amazing. You must feel so relieved to be able to move back to your home country. But the problem is, is that once you've lived in other cultures, and, and growing to have such strong relationships and seeing God work in your life in powerful ways and to come back to North America where, let's just be honest, the, the reputation for the kingdom and for churches is that this is a difficult part in the world to work in, right? There's, there seems to be... Um, it, at times, or maybe in the past, and maybe that's why COVID happened, but it seemed like there was a lot of uh, spiritual coldness, <laughs> and not just cold because of our weather four or five months of the year, but just people that, because we are so blessed materialistically, a lot of times have forgotten God and the need that we have, and just like we sang this morning, to have that relationship with our Father, right? And so I wasn't, I was like, God, why am I going back there? Like, we're doing amazing things here. <laughs> this has been, you're, 
this just didn't make sense to me. And so here we come back to Canada. My overseeing church during all those 20 years that we lived overseas was a church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And so we were in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan in the middle of January in the minus 40 after having lived 20 years in the tropics. It was a shock, to say the least, for my, for my entire system. And I realized again, just like we were singing this morning, God, I, I have no idea what I am doing here. <laughs> but I believe you have a plan. There was something still down there inside of me that said, no, I really do believe that you have orchestrated these, these movements in our lives, that you are faithful, that you are good, that you have a purpose for us to be here in Canada, but I didn't know what that was. And so it was a dark time. It was a lot of time. I, the church auditorium in Saskatoon is very, very similar to this, is it not, Kaylin? And I spent hours that January and February when it was minus 55 with the wind chill in the morning just walking around that auditorium in prayer. And I think it was the first time in my life where prayer became real to me. Because I had always heard about prayer. I remember somebody giving me a book about prayer when I was real young. When I had first become a Christian, I was about 18 years old. And I had this hockey coach when I was living in Dauphin, Manitoba. I'm actually from Manitoba. I was born at Steinbeck. And I was playing hockey at Dauphin Kings, Dauphin, Manitoba. And our coach was a Christian. And so on those, all those trips and stuff, getting in at whatever time in the morning, he knew that I was, I was living in Dauphin, playing with Dauphin Kings, but I also was going to, to Bible college because I had become a Christian uh, the year before. My last week in high school, I became a Christian. And, and that was because of this hockey coach that I had. And, and they, I was encouraged to go to Bible college. I could go to Bible college in the morning and still be able to practice and go to the games and all that stuff. And I thought, hey, this is awesome. I can still do what I like to do, and I'm still going to be growing because I really felt like if I'm going to be a Christian, I should actually know something about what it means to be a Christian. <laughs> so, so that's why I thought it was a pretty good deal. And I remember somebody giving me a book that year called with Christ in the School of Prayer. Anybody know that book? It's just a little book. Any, anybody? No? Oh, you guys need to read that book. We need to get that book in the church library. It's real simple. With Christ in the School of Prayer. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, what do I need this book for? Like, how hard is it to pray? You know, I was 18. What do we know when we're 18, right? And, and I, I, I thought to myself, what, you gotta, we, we pray at church, we pray before we eat, before we go to bed, um, maybe, maybe if I'm feeling a little anxious before a test or something, I might throw up a little flare prayer or something like that, right? How hard, what, do we, what are they talking about with, with, Christ, with Christ in the school of prayer? And so I, I, I didn't... I didn't really, I read the book, but 
but I didn't really get much out of it. But I got enough out of it to know that I needed to grow up in my understanding of prayer. And, and that I needed to go to prayer school. Right? And so, as I got older, we, got, we face more, right? We get, we get into the real world. We face real struggles. We're given more responsibilities. And we realize we can't do it all on our own. And so, slowly but surely, God has been teaching me in this school of prayer. And I wish I could stand here and say that I'm an expert in prayer. I mean, Travis, you've been a missionary for 20 years. You should be like, you know, like so in tune with God that you must be like the most spiritual person that's ever lived. And that's just not the way it, e it is, not even close, <laughs> right? We all have our struggles. But I have been doing this for a long time. And God knows that I am not where I should be along, maybe I should be at least in high school now in the school of prayer. I wish I could say I was at least in high school. But the more that I learn about prayer and the more that I hear of others and their experiences of what prayer means to them and what they have learned, the more I realize, no, I'm probably still in about grade three. Maybe I've made it to grade three. Hopefully. God's been good. God's been, he's been gracious with me. And even though my, in my walk with God, I've, I've always been more cer, cer, cerebral, right? More mind-focused rather than heart-focused. I've also been more of the guy that just, like, does stuff. Like, just goes and goes and goes. It makes me think of Mary and Martha. We know that story, right? Right? And Martha is the one that's doing all the work in the kitchen, and she actually, because it's one thing to think things, right? But it's another thing to actually express them. And she actually says to Jesus, why don't you tell my sister to get busy like me? Right? And Jesus says, Martha, you, you don't get it. You don't get it. She is busy doing things. But she's busy doing things the way that I want things to be done. Because she's with me, walking with me. And getting filled by me, the giver of life. And then I'll have lots of things for her to do too. But we need to get filled first, right? And so I think for all of us, it's easy for us to get distracted. There's so many voices vying for our attention all the time. And it's even a bigger problem now that I've come back to Canada and, and seen how much technology has taken over, literally taken over our lives. We can spend 24-7 just on technology. And there's lots of good things about technology. And spiritually speaking, there's huge problems 
with all of this amazing technology because it takes away our attention from the one who can give us true life. But the Lord has been gracious with me, and slowly but surely, he's given me small glimpses and prompts that if I can learn to listen to him and give attention, pay attention to him and, and grow in, that, in that, that need of that relationship with him, that actually there's so much more and deeper that I'm missing out on, that, that, that all the technology in the world could never give me. And also being, because now I, I still work here in Canada, and I'm still, I'm still a, a missionary. <laughs> they call me a domestic missionary in the, you know, in the, in the, with the titles and all that kind of stuff. And so I still, I still live on support, and I still work here in Canada, but my, my specific calling, that, that going back to that story of, God, why am I here? I, I can't tell you the whole story, but God almost miraculously and serendipitously guided me to come to Brandon, us to come to Brandon to work with the Hispanic churches that there are, because in Brandon, whether you know it or not, with the 50,000 people or so, or that's what they say we have that like 10% of us are Latino, Spanish-speaking people. And so they were like, well, if you still want to do ministry and you still want to use the gifts and, and, uh, that God's given you and the language abilities that he's given you, you should go to Brandon, Manitoba. And so we came to Brandon, and now we've been here ever since. <laughs> and so I work with one of the Hispanic churches here in town, but in our church, we also have an African church, we have a Nigerian church, and we also have an Ethiopian church, because whether we know it or not, this city is very international and diverse. God is bringing people from all over the world to come and live in Brandon. And with that, he's bringing people that know him and have a, have a faith in him and, and want to continue to walk with the Lord and, and want to share their faith and start churches. And they don't have money and they don't have places to meet. They're meeting in their homes. And as we get to know people, we say, well, if you want to go more public, we'll be happy to let you use our building. And so as we've partnered and as God is continuing to grow our partnership with other churches from other cultures in the world, I get to build relationships with this, these people. And I get to see how the Nigerians worship and pray. And the Ethiopians, they do it even more weird <laughs> than I have ever experienced before. And I just say, wow, thanks, God, because I learned so much from these people who have a fervor for in their prayer life that I had never experienced. And something that I knew that in all my running around of South America and up and down mountains and everything that I tried to do out of my power, I knew that I was missing something. I knew that I wasn't connecting with God the way I see 
Jesus connecting with his Father. The way that the early church connected with God in prayer. And that has focused me back into Scripture in these last few years, especially in those two and a half years of COVID. Right, Vicky? I mean, those were some dry times. Can I call you Vicky? Okay, good. Those were some dry times spiritually for pastors. In, in, in a lot of my pastor friends here in Canada, they've all left the ministry because it's just the way it worked. It's just the way that the evil one is at work. And I can't help but believe that God has allowed all of that that went on to call all of us back to what we were singing about, how much we need the Lord, how much the church needs to learn to pray, how much we as individuals and together need to grow in this closeness that Jesus shared with his Father. And in the book of John, that's where God's been leading me lately. We see, I, I, I read it with new eyes and new ears. That's the interesting thing that as we continue to walk with the Lord and maybe we get older and maybe we grow up and get more mature, God starts to show us parts of the Bible that we maybe read before or little stories that we have seen before. Or, or those conversations in John, because John is not just a book of a series of stories like the other three Gospels. Like in John, John actually shares with us more. John, he was the beloved apost disciple, right? And so John had this super close relationship with Jesus. He was the one that Jesus loved, right? So he had this closeness. And he, in his book, I can see now, he's expressing to us how much Jesus relied on his Father and that relationship and that closeness that Jesus had with his Father. Let's just look at one example. Um, let's go to John 8. If you have your Bibles, you should open them. And so Jesus is, he's having these ongoing discussions with the Pharisees who just didn't believe anything that Jesus was claiming that he was about, especially when he would claim that he was the son of God. And they were like freaking out and saying, uh, no, you're not. You're the son of Joseph and Mary, carpenter's son. You're a nobody. We are somebody. You are nothing. And Jesus would say, no, really. I am who I say I am. He says in verse 24, I told you that you would die for your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. And so they asked, who are you? 
And he says, just as I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is reliable. Yeah, God's pretty reliable, I'd say, right? And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. And they did not understand what, what, they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I will always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. And these verses speak to me so much about John wanting to give us a little glimpse of that relationship that Jesus had with his Father. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. And in that, that that's obviously inferring that the, 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 the conversation the ongoing conversation that Jesus maintained with his Father. I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. He has not left me alone. So we're getting these little glimpses of the Father and the Son. And then we can go further into, we can go back into the Bible and see Wow, the Trinity, the God, the God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always lived in relationship, perfect harmony with each other. And they maintain that perfect harmony because they're in constant communication with each other. If you're married, you know how important communication is and how easily we miscommunicate. Right? And yet God has lived in perfect harmony because He's the God, the Father, and here in this passage, it doesn't talk about the Spirit, but we can go to other parts of John that that, that were actually in the, later on in this chapter, or I guess chapter 14, 15, 16, 17, John starts introducing the Spirit, the Counselor who I'm going to send to you. And so we start to see the Trinity in action and this constant and perfect communication that they've maintained forever, right? And that starts to give me a little glimpse of what prayer might actually be. And I think that's why Jesus is the perfect example for us of what prayer might look like with 
our Heavenly Father. And, and I think that's why when the disciples and the followers of Jesus, after His ascension, are gathered in that upper room, and they're not gathered up there because, hey, let's have a, let's have a meeting at the upper room. They, they, were, they had no idea what to do after Jesus ascended to heaven. We can only imagine putting ourselves in their shoes, having spent three years of our lives following this guy, and then he's taken away from them. Like, what are we supposed to do next? Right? In fact, that's what Luke shared. That's what he expresses that they were feeling. So what do they do? They go to an upper room, not just for something to do, but they do that because that's what they believe that Jesus would have done. That's what Jesus had amplificado, that he had the example that he had given them in the years that they walked with him. Because that's what Jesus was always doing, was maintaining that perfect communication with his Father. And so they didn't know what to do, but they knew that they needed to maintain that perfect communication with their Father. And so that's one of the main things that God has been teaching me about what prayer is. Prayer is the basis of our relationship with the Father. Right? Because we're either living with this mindset that a lot of people have in North America. That's right, baby. That it's us against the world, right? It's me against the world, and I've got to figure it all out for myself and make my own path here in, the, in, this, in, this, in this place that I've been put on this planet. Or I have a creator... And not just a creator, but a heavenly father who brought me here and who loves me and has a purpose for me. Because Satan is going to do whatever he can to belittle that little mustard seed of faith, right? But for those of us that can accept this call as little children and learn to live by faith and walk this life with this belief and not just a, some kind of theoretical belief, but that belief that makes you walk around in circles in January and February of 2018 saying, God, what do you want me to do? we come to realize we've got the most powerful dad that anyone could ever ask for. And we don't have to figure out everything on our own because we have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, and that's the relationship that He wants for us, to mold us, guide us, shape us, to become more like Him, right? That's what Ephesians 5, 
1 tells us. I should know this by off by heart by now. Because I go to this verse all the time. Be imitators of what? Of God. Be imitators of God. Be imitators of your heavenly Father. As dearly beloved children. And live a life of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself us gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That's a big calling. We're called to be imitators in this relationship. God is wanting to use this relationship to guide us into what he wants us all to do here on the planet. We're not just here for, by accident. He has a purpose for each one of us to do something to give back to this broken world that he's trying to mend, right? But he does it by calling us into this relationship so he can make us look like his witnesses. So that when people have interaction with us, they feel this love that Christ showed us and gave himself up. And so we also love others because we're being molded and shaped into God's image. And that's another big purpose of, the, of prayer is in this relationship, we're becoming, we're becoming more like our Heavenly Father. And he does it through a friendship. He's not just some demanding boss. Right? We've all had those kind of bosses, do this and do that. God doesn't treat us like that. He walks with us and he's patient with us. And even though it takes 30 years for Travis to get to grade three in the school of prayer, God's okay with that because at least I'm going in the right direction, right? And that's what he's trying to do is give us a glimpse of who we can be who we can who we can become and so it's a calling for us to learn to communicate with God as well and that's what the bible calls prayer so boy i i put way too much stuff here cuz i know we're only supposed to go for 20 minutes right so how are we going to how are we going to wind this down? God is calling us into a life of prayer where through His Son and through the Spirit, He begins to show us in real time and in real ways how we can live and handle situations in a more godly, Christ-like, and Spirit-led way. Yesterday, I was going to spend the day chilling a little bit because I had a busy week. And I get a phone call 
from a young guy, and I thought, I've been waiting for this conversation for, since the first week that I was here, because we went for coffee down here at McDonald's in Walmart, and I said to this young guy at the time, he was probably 22, now he's probably 26 or so, and I said, hey, I'm here to, here to walk with you. He's one of the only guys in his 20s in the church, and I know that a church that isn't feeding their young people is a church that's in trouble. <laughs> so I knew I needed to be walking with this guy, but he wasn't ready for that. But yesterday he was because the Lord's been working on his life through the Spirit. And he says to me, Travis, I have a big problem, and I can't deal with it on my own. I'm, I'm addicted I'm addicted to, uh, you don't know him, so I'm going to say it. I'm addicted to pornography, talking about all that technology we're talking about and the dangers of it, right? And I'm able to share with him, man, the only way you're going to overcome this is by building, building back recommitting your life to that relationship with God through the Spirit. That's the only way. And yeah, we can help you. We can walk with you. We can give you, we can give you groups of people that are other people that are trying to overcome these addictions because all of us have them, right? But ultimately, you have to learn and 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 this is where all of this faith talk become is going to become real to you because i think a lot of times the preachers are up here tell, talking about prayer and stuff like that and we think oh that's good for him way to go travis you're good you made it to grade 3 in the prayer school uh, and i i'm good at kindergarten right it's not until we get into some really deep waters and some tough struggles where we realize, no, this needs to become real for me. And I think that's what I was trying to share with my friend. I'm trying to share with him that in the armor of God, that God, that Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, in the next chapter over where we just were, he talks about the importance of prayer. And maybe we'll end with, with, the, with reading, reminding ourselves about the armor of God. He says, For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Because that's, that's what addictions all lead to. They're all based on these dark forces that want to see us tied, right? So he says in verse 17, well, verse 13, first he says, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything, 
to stand. So how do we stand our ground against the evil one? Well, he gives us the armor, right? And in verse 17, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, he says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. And that's what we're going to be doing here tomorrow night. That's what Unite Prayer is all about. It's about all the people in Brandon who are tired of seeing people's lives being destroyed by the evil one to get serious about our faith and about our relationship with God and get serious about this battle that all of us are in and to get that liber liberty that only that freedom freedom that's the word i'm looking for in english the freedom that only the spirit can give us through prayer. Wow. God never designed us to walk alone in this world. You believe that? Yeah. But he, that's why he's always going to call us to grow in our relationship with him. To be reliant on him. To confront all of our battles in life. I don't know what you're battling with today, but I know you're battling with something because the evil one's at work in each one of our lives. He is attacking you, tempting you in some way, and he doesn't stop. He's the lion that prowls around looking for someone to devour, right? That's First Peter 5. And so the question is, are we walking alone, trying to do this with our limited power and strength? Because God is wanting to offer us His supernatural power. And it's through prayer on all occasions, in the Spirit, and with all kinds of prayers and requests. And praying for all of the saints. That's what connects us to the true source of power. And so the question this morning is, how is God calling you to grow in your communication in your reliance, in your relationship with Him. Because that's what we call prayer, right? Because if we're obedient, and if we're truly seeking Him, truly seeking Him, spending that time walking around in circles in January and February saying, God, what do you want from me? God, help me. 
Because this is, I can't do this alone. Right? That's when he promises that he will give us the strength and the way out to help us overcome whatever it is that we're dealing with. So again, I don't know what you're dealing with this morning, but I want us to know that God never expected us to do it alone. He wants us to have that simple friendship that Jesus shows us. In all the times that Jesus was looking for guidance when he was tempted, always turning back to God, showing us how we can also gain the victory that all of us are looking for. If anyone here today is needing to grow in that, I know that there's people here that want to walk with you and show you how you can grow in your faith. If you're in kindergarten in the school of prayer, don't worry about that. Or maybe you're in preschool still. That's okay. The only thing that God asks for is that we take little steps towards him and say, God, come be a part. I'm allowing you to be a part of my life more today, this week. Let's turn off all the noise and let's get serious about connecting with the one who can give us what we're looking for to become that whole and complete person that we all want to become, to overcome all of the temptations and battles that we're all going through. We're never alone, right, guys? Right, church? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this time to be here this morning. Thank you for this church, Grand Valley Church. My first glimpse into what you're doing along in the English-speaking church world here in Brandon. And I'm grateful for these saints, the ones that you have made clean through the blood of your son. And that's what we want to focus on now as we move into communion. But we also want to learn to commune with you at all times. Like Peter, Paul says, pray without ceasing. Help us to learn to walk with you always. That we're never alone. To build that relationship to truly love you above all else. That's what we need. We know that you made us to live like that and help us to make that our priority. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you that we don't have to walk alone. Thank you for being patient with us and teaching us more of what it means to live in communion with you. Continue to fill us with your Spirit. Continue to mold us and shape us to look more like you and to use us to change lives in this city. Thank you for changing our lives because only you can do that work. Oh, thank you for being our Father. 
We look forward to growing in you more. You are our source of life. And we give you all the praise and glory this morning. Amen. Mr. Travis, oh, isn't it there?